Um, again, I'm glad to be with you, and uh, we've been going through a series called Signal in the Static. There's a lot of noise, a lot of voices, um, a lot of things that are going on in our culture, different people trying to draw our attention, and um, there also is a voice, a single voice of truth that's crying out also, and so there is uh, a, a guiding voice, a guiding principle in all of the world that we're trying to tune into, turn the static down, tune into that voice of truth. Uh, we've been looking at uh, the biblical book of Proverbs, and Proverbs will um, uh, personify, it will, it will take that idea and make it into a person so that we can kind of wrap our head around it, and calls that person Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom is also on the street corner, crying in the streets, trying to direct us in the way that we ought to go, but everybody else is in the corner of the streets, crying out in the way that we ought to go uh, from their perspective, things that will make them wealthy or whatever it is that they want to participate in. So uh, that's been our series that we've been working through. We're going to continue on this morning. Um, but as we do so, I would invite you to pray together with me. It is our, our habit to uh, pray together the disciples' prayer, and it typically would be on the screen, but it's not today. So uh, I prayed out of the ESV, and I know that most of us learned it in the King James, um, so it's probably confusing, but I'm going to pray. I'd invite you to pray with me. You can pray out loud if you want to try. We're just going to keep going through it. Um, but at the very least, let's bow our hearts before the Creator this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Great. Well, if you would turn with your turn or navigate in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Um, I've got it on page 664 if you want to use the blue Bibles. We've got some blue Bibles that are tucked under the chairs in front of you. And if you're here with us this morning and you don't have a Bible and would like to have one, then just write your name in the front of that blue Bible and take it home with you. Um, and it's our gift to you. Um, and I preach out of it every, every Sunday, so you'll always have the same page numbers as me. All right? So I'm on page 664. Um, we are in Proverbs chapter 3, and you'll recall that as we, um, as we started this series, I, talked, I, I, I highlighted that uh, rabbis, as they teach, they don't teach from an outline where you've got a point, and then a sub-point, and then three supporting statements, and then another point, and then a sub-point, and then three supporting statements. They just, that's not how their brain worked. That's not how they structured things. They actually would structure things so that you'd have to think about it a little bit, which is hard for me as an American. Um, to think a little bit, but they structured it so that you'd have to marinate in it. So they would hit an idea, and then they would circle around to some other things, and then they'd hit that idea again, and then they'd circle around and hit some other things, and they'd hit that idea, and every time getting a little bit deeper. So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3 this morning, but I'm also going to take some verses out of chapter 6 um, that are going to highlight some, 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 um, some of the same ideas, because they're, they're not side by side, but they go together. I hope we'll see that as we go forward. So um, and I'm going to start with some verses that Pastor Oren read last week but didn't talk about. Um, it's going to be important for the rest of our conversation for us to actually talk about them. So, Proverbs chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. You guys are doing great. 
The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. So we'll pause there and we'll look at a couple of things here before we move on. The first is there, um, chapter 3 is kind of built around a central, uh, a central idea. And if we grasp hold of this idea, the rest of this chapter, and, and, and frankly the rest of Proverbs and probably the rest of the Bible and maybe even the rest of your life, will make a little bit more sense. And it is, it's that principle that's there in verses 19 and 20. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So, Scripture doesn't spend a lot of time um, uh, defending the idea that God exists. The Bible just assumes that God exists and he made everything and there's nothing really to argue about with that. And I know that for some of us, there's uh, some skepticism about that premise. And so if you're somebody who's skeptical about the Bible or about faith or about Jesus, like I'm super glad that you're listening um, and continue to, to track with us and, and explore some. Um, but but this, this principle here that the Lord by wisdom established the earth or founded the earth or created the earth is something that I think... Us as modern people have difficult grasping or difficulty really uh, landing. Uh, We have difficulty grasping and internalizing in this way. You've heard uh, people in the culture say, well, if there is this bad thing that happens, then either God is not powerful enough to stop it or he's not good because he's letting a bad thing happen. Have, have we heard that? Or am I the only one? Yeah. Okay. So we've got that idea that's kind of common. It's articulated in different TV shows and, and uh, probably in your neighborhoods. You might have even thought the same thing yourself um, in dark times. And I, I sympathize with that. Um, but I also uh, want to point out there's a, there's a little idea embedded. There's a, um, what we might call a presupposition, which is a fancy word for an idea before the idea. Uh, embedded in that if there's a bad thing that happens and God lets it happen, he's either not good or not powerful. The idea is that we, from our standpoint, can understand what goodness is. And that we can see what goodness is and we can impose goodness upon the creator God. So we, we think that we, can, we, 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 can, we understand from beginning to end everything that's good, and if this thing exists that appears to us to be bad, and it may very well actually be bad, for it to exist must be wrong. And God says, yes, it is wrong, but I promise I'm going to fix it. And it doesn't make sense to you yet why I have allowed this to happen, but at the end of all things, it's going to make sense. And as the Lord, by his wisdom, established the earth, there is not a higher good to which God is accountable, he himself is goodness. And if we have ever had an inkling of something that is good, 
It came from the character of our creator, God. By his wisdom, he established everything that we see, everything that we walk on, everything that we breathe, it comes from him. And now we have to, or now we're in a position, being in a broken world, that we have to figure out, well, there are things that are wrong here, but I know that they're wrong because there's a standard of goodness, and the standard of goodness I know is God himself. And so what is, it, what is going on when God doesn't seem like he's doing good or he's letting bad go? It's a question if I could wrestle down and answer for you, like you guys would pay me the big bucks. <laughs> It's a question that we each wrestle with uh, to some degree or another uh, in our lives. And probably one of the biggest questions, can I trust God when it seems like what he's allowing to happen is bad? Well, it was by his wisdom. And he says then, don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Like seek seek wisdom. We want to, even though the world is broken and everything is marred by sin... We do better when we try to live synced up with the way God made for it to be. So there was a created order, there's a created structure where things made sense and things were in harmony. And now we know, I don't have to argue to you, that it's broken. But even though it's broken, we do better when we try to live in sync with the way God made for it to work to begin with. So that's what he's saying. Hey, seek out wisdom, seek out uh, indiscretion understanding, live in accordance with the way that things were meant to be, even though everything is terrible right now. There'll be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. You'll walk on your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Now, I I wish that this was a promise. I wish that, like, (laughs) come on now. We got up early this morning. We had to take a shower. We got our nice clothes on. Some of us ironed, not me, but some of us, I'm sure. Um, and so, like, if we had a promise from God, like, okay, this is how you get a good night's sleep. Like, I'm going to cling to that. Like, please, hallelujah, save me. But it's not, it's not exactly what we're dealing with. He's trying to articulate the, the, the foundational principles for how the world was supposed to work. And all things being even, if we walk in alignment with that, then we'll have a confidence We'll be able to navigate a broken world. We won't have anxiety, the same kind of anxiety that the world has, about things that are outside of our control and that don't actually matter when I look at an eternal perspective. I can sleep at night knowing that it doesn't rise and fall on my ability to understand it or control it because it's all in God's hands. See, God is himself our greatest standard the measure by which we measure everything else, but he also is our greatest treasure. And walking with him is a good walk. Um, But maybe sometimes we struggle to trust. How this week are we struggling to trust God? Okay, yeah, I get it. You controlled everything. You created everything. It's all by your power. You just kind of spoke it, and there it was. And I don't really understand that, but I know you did it. But, like, what are you going to do about this bill that's overdue? 
how, how are we going to rectify this family situation where these people literally, literally don't want to be in the same room together? How, how are you going to bring peace in our nation or our world? How are we struggling to trust that God's got the whole world in his hands? See, our trust in God defines every other relationship. I, I grew up in a church where I thought like I could just get right with God. Like we just have this, this thing going on and goes, you know, hang out in the monastery and pray all the time. And like me could have me and Jesus time and, and everything would be cool. Like I could get to a place where, where I didn't have to worry about don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls that do. Like I, I, we could just be right, live the right way all the time. And as long as I just got rid of, got out of the world and stopped dealing with other people, like then I could get things right, right? But the problem with life is i got to deal with other people, and they lead me in the wrong ways sometimes. Maybe it's just me. But our, our, our trust in God defines every other relationship. That vertical relationship actually completely reforms every other horizontal relationship. That's why, perhaps you noticed it was a little bit out of place, he says, do not withhold good from those to whom it's due, there in verse 27, when it is in your power to do it. Well, I thought we were talking about trusting God. I thought we were talking about getting a good night's sleep and not having anxiety. What do you mean, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it? Our trust in God defines every other relationship. Well, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Let's keep reading in verse 28. I'll read a couple verses and then we'll, we'll jump into six. I told you I was going to do that. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will have it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you excuse me, no harm. So he starts, okay, do not withhold good from whom... From those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do that. What does that look like? Well, it looks like, uh, I lost my place in my notes, it looks like forthrightness with the people that we're in relationships with. It looks like, okay, I've got, I've got what I said I was going to get for you, but I, but I don't really want to give it to you quite yet. I'm just going to hold on to it. Actually, go, go back and come back tomorrow and I'll, I'll take care of it, even though you've got it right there. Like, just, just be forthright. If there's a reason why you don't want to give it up, just talk about the reason. Like, these are my concerns. I'm going to give it to you because I got it, and I said that's what I was going to do, but I'm concerned that this is what's going to happen next. And I just, I need you to know. Just be forthright. Uh, and perhaps even be kind. <laughs> do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm becoming a grown-up, but like, I don't, like, the, the house is nice. Whatever house you end up picking, like, the house is, is a good thing. You want a good investment. All of those things. Also, why can we not do interviews with all of our neighbors before we move in? Like, a house surrounded by terrible neighbors is a terrible house, no matter how, house, how nice the house is. The communities that we live in matter. Perhaps and so we need to realize that we show up in those spaces and we also bring something to the street. So be kind. Don't plan evil against your neighbor. They, li they live right there. 
They're not going anywhere. Like the tit for tat, back and forth, passive aggressive across the fence isn't going to go away. Just be, like you can't win that. It's a race to the bottom. And do not contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Uh, if you, you know, were thinking about getting a new tattoo, this might be it. Don't cause no problems for no reason. If you got a reason, say it. I'm not saying don't stand up for things that matter, but, I, but I'm saying if you don't got a reason, if you don't have a dog in the fight, it's okay. It's okay to keep your mouth shut. I might be preaching to myself. So then, that's, okay, Mike, I get it, cool. I'm on board. These are good principles. Yeah. Um, but, but who's my neighbor? Well, I'm glad you asked. We read from, from Luke chapter 10 uh, this morning about a lawyer that came to Jesus. And he says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Trust Yahweh. Foundational principles for all creation. Life goes better when you trust God. Cool. Got it. Hey, bonus. You asked me what the best one is. Let me tell you number two. You didn't ask me, but I'm going to tell you. The second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, cool. And Jesus says, if you do these, you will live. And then the lawyer, I don't know, if you keep reading, the lawyer kind of is like, I don't know that I'm okay with that. Like, who is my neighbor? And he tells a story um, that if I tell you the name of the story, you think you know what it is. But it's, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan's a guy that gets beat up by the side of the road, and all these like holy church people walk past him. But it was the Samaritan that stopped and, and helped him out. But the thing that we don't that we'll miss as we look through that story is that Samaritans and Jews did not get along at all. There was a blood feud. They were not happy neighbors. But the Samaritan overcame that cultural conflict, took care of the man's needs, and then and then left and left some more just in case stuff came up. Like he went above and beyond. Who is my neighbor? Well, if we're going to take Jesus at his word, and he was, he was quoting out of Leviticus, just in case you didn't know, uh, your social enemies are your neighbor. Republicans or Democrats, social enemies are your neighbor. And if we carry that principle out, Okay, if, if even my social enemies, the people that I don't get along with, the people that I don't agree with, the people that don't speak my language, if those people are my neighbor, then isn't everybody my neighbor? Everybody. And I think we do well to absorb that. The problem that I have, and this might just be a me problem, but the problem that I have is that when I get to like thinking about how everybody is my neighbor, I begin to like my eyes gloss over and I just blur out like nobody's my neighbor. None of you. None of you are my neighbors. My children? No. No, no, no. If everybody is, then nobody is. Like I just, it's just too much to handle. And so uh, I want to push us back to like, if we're going to follow Jesus, then everybody's our neighbor. But, but also continue, uh, but also your actual neighbor is your neighbor. Uh, the people that live in the next bedroom over, People who live in the same bed with you and the people who live across the street, your actual neighbors are actually your actual neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's, 
navigate over to chapter 6. I want to look at a couple verses here. Because we can get a picture. I can paint a picture. It's one of my favorite things is to paint a picture of what like a beautiful neighborhood would look like. Like our, the name of the church is Neighborhood Church. Like I believe in community. I think it's wonderful when neighbors like go out of their way to help one another. Like I, I, I love a, a life-giving community founded on Jesus. Like I can paint that picture. But we know that like when that works up until like we actually have to go and talk to our neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus, right? So what... We know that that pretty picture only lasts as long as we don't actually have to talk to anybody real, right? So what happens when we get into real life? What does that look like? Proverbs chapter 6, he gives us uh, just one small vignette. My son, if you've put up security for your neighbor and have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So the original setting here is is a setting of a loan um, where somebody has agreed to co-sign on a loan. Um, And we're going to have to be real good friends if I'm going to co-sign on a loan and be responsible for your debt. But... That's the, the, the primary situation. He says, look, if you have done this, then you need to go. Like, don't sleep. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go to your neighbor and, and, and tell them, I made a mistake. I need to get out of this arrangement. See, boundaries do matter. And perhaps, perhaps the quality of our boundaries is determined by the quality of our neighbor's. I, I wish that we all could be walking in the light of Jesus and we could all extend the same forgiveness to one another and we all could, could be understanding with one another, but we know that we live in a broken world and it doesn't always work that way. And so the, the, the reason that we need boundaries is because we're all jacked up, myself included, and, and boundaries are important. And so he's saying here, like, sometimes we, get our, we talk ourselves into trouble and we, we agree to more than we can actually take responsibility for. And I don't know about you, like as a, as a young guy, maybe it's the John Wayne movies, I don't know, but like being a man of your word seems like something to matter. And so I'm like, well, I said I was going to do it and so I'm going to do it. And like, that's all there is. And sometimes like being a man of my word means going and admitting when I've been too loose with my words. Hey, I, I said too much here. I agreed too much. I can't actually cash this check. And that takes some humility. If our trust in God defines every other relationship, what relationships do we need to pause and redefine? There's a a legal agreement that's here that both parties have entered into, and now one of the parties goes back and says, hey, I know I said that we'd do this, but like, it's, I can't. Like, it's not going to work, and I need to get out of it. And so we are redefining the relationship. Uh, I have a, a shorthand for that. It's called a DTR. If you have a DTR conversation, it's a define the relationship conversation. And most of the times, uh, it's not good when both people show up to the table knowing they're having a DTR conversation. Because then it's like, everybody's got their defenses up. Anyway. Define the relationship. What, what's going on? What expectations have I met? Where do we need to redefine? Who do we need to have a DTR with? Because our trust in God defines every other relationship.
We'll go back to chapter 3. And continue in 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Now, fellow millennials, I need to give you a content warning. Proverbs doesn't have any problem with stereotyping and putting people in boxes. Uh, oftentimes, they'll just, as a way of categorizing, they'll give you two categories of people. There's this category of people, and there's that category of people. There's a category of people that are described as violent and devious and wicked and scornful. And he says, those people are on the road to disgrace. And there's a category of people that are upright and righteous and humble and wise, and those people are on a road towards honor. Two paths, two voices calling out. And which will we choose is one question. And another question is, how will we navigate people who have chosen other paths? Now, these are not necessarily moral terms. And I don't know how to unpack this other than to say it and hope that you chew on it through this week. These are not necessarily moral terms. Because when I hear words like righteous, um, there's a category of theology in my brain that starts firing off. I'm like, wait a second. I thought righteousness was, by, was justification by faith through grace. Like, I thought that that's how this worked. Like, only Jesus can give us righteousness. And if we don't have Christ's righteousness, then there is no righteousness apart from that. And what are we talking about here? Is that what we're talking about? Like, only, only people that trust in Jesus? And that's, we're not talking about a, technically a moral righteousness. But it's, it's a framework of living in sync. Or it's living in sync with the framework that Yahweh originally established. Another way to say it would be right choices, making the good choice. Now these verses are, are, are ones that I can read through. I can tell you what they mean. I think most of the, the meaning is pretty evident on the surface. But the hard work is, is sitting with them is marinating in them, is coming back to them and spending time and letting the Spirit lead you in any given situation. We're going to look back at chapter 6 and give you some more stuff to chew on this week. Chapter 6 and verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there? sluggard. When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Wait, I thought, I thought that if we were righteous that we got to take a nap. I thought that that was in the thing before. Weren't we just talking about having a good night's sleep? Does this mean like that we're not allowed to rest? That there is no resting? Well, no. Um, I'll take a, a step back. A devious person uh, which, is, which we looked at those verses in chapter 3, a devious person may be constantly trying to scheme and come up with a plot instead of actually showing up to do any work. Does anybody have friends 
or maybe coworkers like that. They're like, oh, I got a plan for how blah, 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 and I'm not going to be there. Or I'm not going to be able to blah, 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 because I got blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I just need you to show up and, and help, please. Can we just do that? A, a devious person might be constantly trying to scheme instead of actually doing any work. But work, this is hard pills to swallow, I'm sorry. Work is part of the goodness of creation. We actually were given a job before the world got broken. Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 17, work is part of the goodness of creation. So then, we've got to become Puritans and work all the time and never sleep and blah, blah, blah. Well, no. God sets an example for us. He who never tires actually stopped from all his work and rested on the seventh day, a, cha- a chapter before everything went off the rails in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. Well, do I sleep? Is, or do I sleep and get rest and follow Yahweh's example? Or do I just fold my hands and, and not sleep because that's leading me to poverty? Is, 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 is a restful night's sleep like a sign of God's blessing and that I'm walking in the right way? Or is, or is a restful night's sleep a sign that like I just need to buck up and do something today? And if I could answer that question, you guys would pay me really, really big bucks. <laughs> but the fact of what he wants us to do is he wants us to sit with these texts and be like, okay, God, what, how are you leading me today? Do I need to take a couple steps back and, and, and maybe shift into neutral for a minute just to catch a break? Do I need to reset? Do I need to reevaluate? Do I need to re-examine some important relationships? Or do I need to just get up off the couch and go to work and do the thing and show up and keep putting in the hours and keep doing good work and representing Jesus well that way? I don't know. Where are you at this week? Six twelve, verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. Winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points his finger. With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he'll be broken beyond healing. So we've got a guy here that's described as, as constant, like he might be saying one thing, but he's also given signals to his buddies over your shoulder to let you know, uh, or to let them know that you're, he's actually ripping you off. Now, now, I don't know if you know this, but communication is uh, difficult and perhaps may be the greatest struggle of humankind. And I've got theological reasons for saying that, but like communication is hard. And there are people who will... Uh, work to exploit how difficult communication is. And they're not just lawyers, because lawyers do that a lot. Try to get into the, the verbiage of like what you actually said versus what I'm legally required to actually show up to do, right? Like, there are other people <laughs> that will follow in the same mindset and try to uh, get out of having to do anything and make sure that you get taken advantage of. So what do we do? We work hard to communicate clearly, and we work hard to be wary of those who are not. Verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. 
Now, have you heard of the seven deadly sins? Did I lose you? Are we asleep? Yeah, have we heard of those? Okay, can we name them? <laughs> lust is always the first one somebody says. I know lust is the problem. That's next week. Gluttony, lust, greed. I had to write them down. <clears throat> Pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Now, I don't feel bad that I don't know them because they're not actually in the Bible. Um, it's, a, it's a theological framework from the Catholic Church so that they give you categories so that you can confess your sins accurately um, and may or may not be helpful. Something that I do think is helpful is actually these verses which talk through seven deadly sins. <laughs> Uh, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are abomination to him. And, and think through, like, think through these. Like, what makes these things so bad? These are things that God hates. Haughty eyes, arrogance, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, one who sows discord among the brothers. I'm, I'm struck by how much of this is, is verbal. There are things that God hates that we say. But these are things that God hates. What do we do with that? <laughs> well, the question that comes to my mind is, what is it that God loves? Like, if, if, if God hates these things, what's the thing that God loves? What well, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, and whosoever believes in him does not perish, but have everlasting life. So God loves the whole world. So God loves everybody. And these things that God hates implicitly cause harm to that which he loves. Read it again and think about how these things impact relationships. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. These things injure the things, the ones that God loves. Dearly, sacrificially loves. They came into the world not to condemn the world. The world might, through him might be saved. God loves the world. And that might get fuzzy for you. So if I can say it clearly, but also actually you. God actually loves you. And these things that he's given us are not made to be a burden that we have to, oh, I can't lie. Like, oh, well, I said that white lie and it was really because it was blah, blah, blah. And he's not trying to hammer and crush us with, with additional burdens. No, 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 I love you and I need you to know that these things are not only harmful to you, but they're harmful to the people that you care about and the people that I care about. So let's be not wise in our own eyes, but let's fear God and turn away from evil.
What kind of neighbor do we mean to be this week? And will we walk with Jesus to become that neighbor? Because our trust in God defines every other relationship. Would you pray together with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, and God, in, in some ways it feels wrong to skim over it. There are so many depths to plumb. And so we ask that you would bring these to mind. God, would you give us a thirst for your word to come back to it, to sit with it, to meditate on it, to chew on it. Lord, not that we might increase our knowledge, but that we might walk well with you. Would you lead us and guide us in your way? Would you help us to steer clear of the paths that do violence to us and to our neighbors, those whom you love so dearly? Would you help us to see ourselves clearly as you do and to see you in your glory? And would that change how we walk through the rest of this week? It's in your name we pray. Amen.